Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, December 10th, we are studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. St. Paul has used many familial terms throughout his first letter to the Thessalonian Christians, and that continues in today's text as he encourages them in the matter of brotherly love. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor A.J. Espinoza. Pastor Espinoza is the is an adjunct professor of theology at Concordia University, Irvine in California, as well as the host of Thy Strong Word here on KFUO. Pastor Espinoza, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited to look at this text today. It's a little bit different from what I've been up to lately. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We we don't take it the whole chapter at a time here on Sharper Iron. What uh, what have y'all been looking at at uh, on Thy Strong Word recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's it's just a very different thing. I mean, uh, looking at it one chapter at a time. I mean, it's really good because I mean, my goodness, uh, we've been looking at Isaiah, and if we took Isaiah four verses at a time, we would literally <laughs> spend like two years on Isaiah. Yeah. So if you want to, if you want to actually, uh, you know, be able to kind of see the forest and kind of get a sense of what the whole book is about, you you got to go at that bigger pace. But uh, lately, we actually have been looking at that stuff that gets read. Um, on Good Friday, like that begins like in chapter 52, um, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of the children of mankind. We regarded him as stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. So uh, it, it's, it's really fascinating. I didn't actually realize that. That text immediately follows the Isaiah reading for Christmas Day. Mm. So yeah, you have like how beautiful yeah. upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. And then it goes right into the stuff that we read on Good Friday. They're actually like right next to each other. Mm. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very remarkable section of Isaiah because it's just, it's so, it's so profound and it gets used just so many places in our tradition. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I'm, I've preached on those texts before, but I don't know that I've ever actually sat there and, and thought about that. You might have just given me an idea for my my Christmas Day sermon here. Pastor <laughs> hey, there Espinoza. you go. The first one's free, yeah. Tim. <laughs> that's right. I appreciate that. All right. All right. Well, I'll take it when I can. Yeah. So so here we are in First Thessalonians 4. And and we've we've been reading this letter, Pastor Espinosa. Just give us some some context here. We've we've come a long ways in in this epistle. What's what's been going on that Paul's doing that is going to lead us to the point we are today? Right. Well, yeah. It's um, and, and I'm sure that you, you talked about this last time as as well. But yeah, it's it's a letter, and it's a letter um that's that's Paul sent to this relatively new Christian congregation. He hasn't been able to spend nearly as much time with them as he would have liked, and so naturally he's concerned. Like, I mean, how are they doing? Are they have they gone back to worshiping idols? You know. Um, who knows, have they been able to persevere? You know, you become, you become Christians and things start getting hard for you because of persecution. So what's going on? Um, and so, but the thing is, he gets this good report from Timothy that actually not only are they hanging on to the faith, but they are really remarkable in the way that they show, and this is the, the theme for today, brotherly love. 
uh, this this Philadelphia, right? And so he he spends the first half of the letter basically just praising them and saying, "I am so grateful to God for you guys. I thank God all the time. When I think of you in my prayers. It, may, it gives me so much joy. I'm so proud of you." That that you know, I, I came and I gave you this gospel, and you've received it, and you put it into action. You actually, you know, you know, put it into practice. And so, um, and and I think there's something to be said for that. That he doesn't just immediately go into like, "Hey guys, let me okay, uh, let me tell you what you still have to do." Right? He, he actually does like just just praise them pretty much for the first half, and now he's talking about um, how they can do better, how they can go further, how they can build on that. And so uh, after this, this little section about um, kind of basically sexual uh, immorality, uh, purity, stuff like this, uh, then he moves on to this next bit about um, Philadelphia. And then the next time after he talks about brotherly love, um, then he moves into this next section. It's about um, how they grieve, you know, how they, how they express grief for those who have died, um, you know. So it, it's uh, different aspects of how they live as a community. Hmm. Putting it in that that larger context, I want to address a couple of things in that with you. Just thinking of the overall tone of chapters one through three, very positive, and yeah. and Paul's gotten this positive report from Timothy that is really the the driving force. That's the really the most immediate reason that he's written this letter. But just overall, it, it's a very encouraging letter that he writes to them. And now yeah. he's turned that corner in chapter four, this, this finally then brothers, and he's going to give them instruction. And I guess it, it's just different than the way I, I typically think of Paul's letters. I, I typically think of Paul's letters as here's my greeting. Here's my Thanksgiving here's what's wrong with you and I'm going to fix it in this letter and then goodbye or, or something, something to that effect. And that's, that's an overgeneralization, <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it yeah. doesn't seem here that there's as much of that fixing what's wrong with you as there is with encouraging you in what you're already doing. And so I, I guess my, my, my question is when we think about First Thessalonians 4 and 5, you know, are we seeing a bit of rebuke or is this still really in that same vein of encouragement? And then how does that, how does that affect the relationship of pastors and people today when it comes to this matter of instruction? Because I think there's a temptation on both sides for, for pastors to think this is what I see is wrong with my congregation. And so I'm going to preach that to fix them. And, And I think Paul's not doing that here. And then on the side of the hearer too, every time I hear my pastor tell me this is the way you should be living. I'm, I'm taking that as, well, he thinks I'm doing it wrong or, or he thinks there's something that mm-hmm. I need to fix. Yeah. So, I mean, just help me hash some of that out. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. It's, I, I think it's really important. I think I agree with you that we ought to be considering, Hey, look, this isn't just a model of, I mean, I mean, it's not just like a list of doctrine, right. But it's actually a model of like how to do this stuff in pastoral and congregational relationships. And yeah, it is, uh, I, I, I have to admit that I, I think that uh, it's probably something that just as a preacher, you kind of uh, fall into. You just, you, you tend to think of the epistles as like, oh yeah, here's my epistles. This is full of the stuff that's like, okay, let me tell you how to do this stuff, right? It's full of the practical instruction because, oh man, I know my congregation, we they, they need to hear this, right? And like, so you kind of go there kind of in that kind of preaching mindset, um, but yeah, if you, if you do that, you can easily skip over the first three chapters, uh, which, which are so different. I think that, I think the thing 
that this really turns us to is the fact that all this has a relational context and you, you got to know what the relationship is like. Because I think you are right that if you look at, say, like Romans, right? Um, yeah, there is like, you know, uh, in chapter one, you, you have your kind of introduction. You have, you know, your first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. You got like, I don't know, like eight verses of that. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like, and here's the teaching, right? I mean, as opposed to, you know, this. So I think that that's pointing to the fact that you got to approach a congregation uh, cognizant of what the relationship is like. And I think that for congregations like um, the Roman Christians and the, the church in Corinth, I think that Paul had more established relationships with them, whereas this uh, Thessalonian congregation that he had not really gotten to spend nearly the amount of time with him as he would have liked. And, and I, and I think it's actually just kind of practical wisdom on a certain level that, you know, y- you need to have a relationship before you can just kind of go straight into like, let me tell you what's wrong. Right. When you're still like, you know, building that relationship up, I mean, praise is, is so important. And uh, I think as, as especially as new pastors of, at a congregation or young pastors, I, I think you've, got to really emphasize how much you really need to be praising your congregation for the stuff they are doing right by the grace of God. I, I think that it's really easy to, to, to miss that and to, to fall too quickly onto telling them what they're doing wrong. Yeah, it, it really is easy to fall into that trap. And, and it's nice to, it's just nice to see refreshing to see how Paul doesn't. The other thing that, that strikes me every time I start to you know, pick up these things that I guess I just never noticed before from First Thessalonians. And probably because when I think of First Thessalonians, the primary text that I think of is the one that'll come tomorrow in terms mm-hmm. of the matter of how they grieve, because we we hear that at the graveside of, of beloved right. saints all the time. And so right. that's that's the text that always comes to mind. And I I've probably neglected the first part of First Thessalonians. So I'm I'm picking all this up. And the other thing that just keeps coming back to my mind as I'm reading this is is the fact that this is one of Paul's earliest letters, if not his earliest letter. When you think about the the various epistles that he wrote, this is one yeah. of the various first ones, if not the first. And so yeah. just to, to see the topics that he addresses here and then watch how he keeps holding out those themes to other congregations, all the while, you know, speaking in, in the context of what that congregation needs to hear. But to see how these, these themes come up again and again, Yesterday, we, we saw the theme of, of sexual immorality, the positively stated chastity as an important matter when it comes to the Christian sanctification. Today, we're going to see brotherly love. Tomorrow, as you said, the matter of grieving and, and Christ's return and how, how the, the teachings that the church has concerning the, the end times actually affect day-to-day life. Uh, how, how, do you, how do you kind of, I guess my, my question for you then, Pastor Espinoza, is, is how, do you, how do you relate these themes to each other? Is, is Paul just saying this is what the Thessalonians need to hear and that's why he's addressing them? Or is there maybe something else going on that these are really important things for, for all Christians to hear? And so he's, he addresses them to Thessalonians in this one of his very first letters, and they're just going to keep showing up because they're just important. Yeah. I, I mean, I do think that they're... You know, I hadn't considered, you know, why is it, you know, particularly these three that we see here in Thessalonians? I mean, you know, is it is it that these are just the things that particularly stand out here, maybe over and against other places? Like, I, I don't know. It does seem like these would be three things 
that would in general stand out in the culture at that time. Um, I mean, just considering just how worlds apart different sexual mores were for, between um, between the, the the Jewish community and and then the Gentile communities that surrounded them. I mean, just completely different ideas about what the purpose of sex is, is about. So, I mean, I mean, I think it just it stands out when you just contrast these like different worldviews because you know the, these people um, who have been you know, who would have considered themselves, um, you know, not Jewish, right, have been grafted in now to the the family of Abraham. They've been grafted into the people of Israel. And so they're they're for the first time now in this kind of in this different worldview, you know, that that, yeah, it, it's new and it's transformed in light of Easter. But I mean, it is ultimately the same tradition that goes back to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So, I mean, I think that's that the sex stuff is always going to stand out by by comparison. And that's just interesting, of course, because like for us, right, we, you know, we, we seem to have like caught the spirit of like the Greeks and the Romans mm -hmm. here in 21st century uh, America, right? Like, it's just, we, we kind of, um, we, we also are worlds apart. So there's that. And when it comes to the other aspects, I mean, I think there's something there too. Um, you know, like the, the Greeks and the Romans, they'd gotten into this stuff where, I mean, they would like hire people, to like wail and cry to, to make like the funerals, like just more and more like dramatic. And the, the way, the way that they would, the way that they would deal with death, um, that might be something that is, is probably going to be a point of, a point of contrast almost, almost universally. I mean, like uh, there's not really any other people on earth that really talk about the resurrection the way Christians do. And so the way our attitude towards death and here in the United States, though, that we, we deal with aging and death and uh, disability and, and these sorts of things like around life. I mean, there's just always going to be different. I, I'm guessing the thing about the middle though, the middle here about probably love, the thing that might be going on, I'm, I'm thinking this culture in the, in the, Mediterranean world um, and, and in the Middle East was one that really honored hospitality and hospitality was a gigantically important ethic. And that was something that was true, I think, both in the the Jewish culture and in the cultures around them. Um, hospitality was a really, really big thing. And even to this day, if you go to this part of the world, hospitality, it, it seems is just on another level compared to maybe out here. So I, I wonder if maybe that could be the point of contact here that it's like he, he's expressing the gospel, which itself is in many ways a message of hospitality. Um, and, and that's actually a part where it's actually kind of congenial for uh, their, their cultural background. So I don't, I don't know if maybe actually that makes it maybe the most different from our perspective that they're getting praised for something that maybe they kind of had a knack for. <laughs> whereas, whereas here, here in the U S like, we're just like, hospitality what like they can go they can go to a restaurant or get a hotel like we we just um th this might be the weirdest thing really somebody getting praised for hospitality maybe the part that would relate to the mo uh, the least actually hmm, i i like i like that and that some of that might might ha then go into why paul's gonna say you really have no need for me to write this to you because they know it first from what they've been taught by god and and then they know it at least to an extent from from what what the culture is is doing, but they're doing it for a different reason, as we're going to see. So let's go ahead and take a look at the text then. This is 1 yeah. Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 12. 
Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. All right, so only only four verses on this show, Pastor Espinosa. We don't have to tackle <laughs> love, the whole chapter. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so you you have all the time that you'd like to talk that's about great. brotherly love. That that's the the overarching topic. It would seem yeah. at least for the first two one and a half verses. Brotherly love. Take us take us into that term. Yeah. Yeah, well, it is it is interesting. You know, it does start off in verse nine with a strong now, now concerning probably love topic construction. Um, in in the Greek, it marks it out as like this is the big overarching topic here. So, I mean, really, it is the topic for I mean all four verses. But we're very quickly, as you're saying, going to turn to a subtopic. Uh, within this overarching idea of brotherly love, we're going to move on to this idea about you know, um, as he puts it, aspiring to live quietly. Uh, That's actually, we should understand that as a subtopic related to the idea of brotherly love. And we shouldn't, you know, sometimes we, we have this, this, this knack for like just spinning this out into like fortune cookies or something like that. Like, you know, he's just going off a list, like a checklist of like, there's that virtue and that virtue and that virtue, but we're not seeing how they're connected to each other. So, um, yeah, so we got we to gotta understand brotherly love or else we're going to misunderstand the stuff in verses uh, 11 and 12 about this um, minding your own business stuff, right? Because we can, we can really turn it into something that it's not. But um, so, so brotherly love, um, the, the term um, I mentioned is, is Philadelphia, right? In the Greek, Philadelphia. Uh, and it means, uh, yeah, literally it does mean brotherly love. I mean, he calls the fellow Christians, his fellow Christians, brothers is, is the term, um, which is a, is a general term, which, which can mean, you know, brothers and sisters. But, uh, I, I think it's kind of closest perhaps to the way that we talk about, sometimes we use the phrase like, uh, my church family or like, oh, we're like, we're all family here. Uh, and, we, and we'll, and we'll say things like that, like, oh, well, welcome them to our church family. And, and, and like, if there's a baptism, like, oh, our, our family is growing today. We, we talk about it as a family. And I do think that's, uh, that it's pretty much right, right on that this, um, you know, Philadelphia is familial love. It's meant to be the sort of love that exists, um, in a family in that sense, like, especially like between siblings. But I mean, I mean, I think even, you know, between like, you know, uncles and nephews and aunts and nieces and like even, even perhaps between the parents and their children. Um, it, it is that, that kind of familial love that's, that's meant to be for people that you have a close relationship with, which, which is one of the things that makes this stand out in the ancient world because I mean, this Philadelphia was a was a highly regarded virtue, even outside of Christianity and Judaism. But people would have found it actually a little bit scandalous to treat people that you like hardly knew like they were your family. Um, and even today, actually, that's 
that's something that we, I think we have a really hard time with that we, we show up at church and we're kind of like, don't, don't look to the left, don't look to the right in my pew here. I don't know who they are. And like, it's like sharing of the peace. And we're like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to shake their hand. I don't know them. Right. <laughs> but I mean, so I know, I mean, I think we, we kind of share the same kind of uh, basic like pagan problem with this. Uh, but yeah, no, they're actually like, the idea is if you're, if you're in Christ, it's like, these people are your family. And like, would you, would you really like treat your like own brother or sister or like parents or uncles like so so distantly mm. um unfortunately the answer today more and more is like probably like yes because we're even kind of losing our sense of family in 2019 um mm. saying that just a few weeks after thanksgiving right but uh oh. which is like friendsgiving now right so right so yeah that that's it's 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 a very important concept and it's it's one that is central to to the whole point here he's making Hmm. I, I, the, the scandalous nature of the Philadelphia that would exist between Christians, I think, is is something that you see, especially in Jesus' own ministry in the Gospels. The, the parts that stand out to me in that regard would be when Jesus' mother and brothers are looking for him. And oh, this, yeah. I know it's recorded in Mark, and I think it's in the other Synoptic Gospels as well. And, and Jesus, they, you know, they want to come talk to him because they, they think he's nuts and they want him to be quiet. And right. so, so Jesus looks at the disciples who are gathered around him, listening to him teach and said, these, these are my mother and brothers and sisters, right? That, that his family are those who, who hear his word and believe it and, and that we've been incorporated into that. And then along those same lines, that, that same scandal would be involved when Jesus says to his disciples that whoever does not hate his his mother and father and brothers and sisters and wife and children. And he lists all kinds of of family relationships. That 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 one's not worthy to be his disciple. That same same thinking I think is involved. That that first and foremost, Christ is our brother, and therefore God is our father. And all those who have Christ as brother are also a part of our family. And this this is our our primary family now. And that that really is a scandalous thing. So while while it would still still touch on something that the Thessalonians would have known, this idea of Philadelphia from the outside world, it still would have been a, a radically different thing that Paul was talking about. Right? I mean, that's that's what that's the the scandalous nature that you're talking about, right? Yeah, I think it's it's I think it's honestly, sadly, very hard for us to understand this. Um, I mean, I'm thinking like particularly among, um, uh, like especially like in in white um, United States context, um, it, it might be less uh, less alien perhaps in certain um, ethnic groups. I mean, e- even even actually, and, and it's kind of like, there, there's differences too between like, you know, gen- general kind of like Anglo-America versus kind of the more, some of the more exi- like tightly knit groups like among like Greeks or um, Irish communities or Italian communities. So, uh, it, it's not strictly a racial thing, but I do think there is a difference that you see. And I'll just speak for my own example, like, you know, like in Hispanic culture, like there's a very strong family ethic and you have a lot of people who come up to the United States and the, the goal is to work hard and make money and send the money back home to like Mexico or Colombia or whatever it is you came from. Because the whole idea is I'm doing this for my family and family means like, not just, you know, uh, I mean, the wife and kids, but it's it's really like they might be the ones who go with you and you're sending the money back 
to like, you know, grandma and grandpa and cousins and like aunts and uncles and stuff like that. And it's not like, oh, that's like a burden. And oh, like, look at me. I'm like making such a sacrifice. It's like, you you just do that because you're a decent person. Uh, that That's just a part of what it means to like be part of the family. I mean, it's just what you do. Um, I, I think that stuff like that, those sorts of unassumed, um, just, just like ethics of, of family. Like, you know, if you're, if your parents are getting old, um, and they can't live on their own, of course they come in, they live with you and you will take care of them until the day they die. That that's also stuff like that's just, uh, that was a given, um, for many traditional cultures and you see it still in some groups in the United States, but in many groups in the U S it's just not a thing anymore. So I, I think the weird thing is that it would be scandalous to us. Like if we understood just how deep Philadelphia is supposed to be. Um, but you know, these days it's sort of like, well, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. And as soon as I turn 18, it's like, you know, I mean like, Hey mom and dad, I'm doing my own deal. Of course, you know, please still pay for all of my college as much as you can. Right. But pretty much I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to go over to this other continent and, like, don't, don't at all interfere with like who I want to marry and what kind of career I want to have. But all of those things would have been wrapped up in Philadelphia in traditional mm. culture. And so, I mean, we, we don't, it doesn't, it doesn't even seem scandalous to us, I think, because we have such a shallow vision of what family means very often, mm. unfortunately today. Mm. Real, real quick, maybe, and and it is it is sad to see that decline within our own culture. Although it, I, I would I would say that that within small town America, which which is where I serve, I, I see those, those family connections still That's around, true. and and so that that someone from. And maybe maybe a sports analogy is as sad as it is that that's where we have to go. But maybe a sports analogy works <laughs> so that someone who roots for the Dallas Cowboys and, <laughs> and someone who roots for the Green Bay Packers actually, despite that great disparity in their football fandom, when they are united in Christ, that unites even even those. And, and I would I would rather be with my Green Bay Packer fan <laughs> fellow Christians on a Sunday morning than I would be, than I would want to be with my Dallas Cowboy fans who have no connection to Christ. And and with that, <laughs> Pastor Esmeralda, we're going to have to take our break here on Sharper. Yeah, that listening on, very good. <laughs> that's, that's right. We'll, we'll come back to that a little bit more on the other side of the break and, and put it more in, in terms of how the Thessalonians are doing this correctly and, and rightly and centered in Christ uh, there that Paul is praising for them. We're going to take that short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Tuesday, December 10th. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12 with Pastor A.J. Espinoza, the host of Thy Strong Word here on KFUO. Pastor Espinoza, prior to the break, we were talking about that matter of brotherly love, this Philadelphia that is scandalous in terms of the way that Christians practice it 
in their own congregations, even if they're not related to one another by blood, they are connected very closely to one another in Christ. So so we, we were talking about more of the, the negative aspect of it on the previous side of the break. Give us the positive aspect. What is it that the Thessalonians are doing here that is brotherly love that Paul's commending them for? I think that w- this is something that might be easy to miss. If, if you look at what he says, he doesn't just say, you guys are a really tightly knit community, right? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I'm sure that that goes with, without saying, but what does he say in verse 10? Indeed, that's what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Okay, now uh, we're not talking about, you know, uh, the empire of Alexander the Great. This isn't when Macedonia was like basically the known world. Macedonia was much smaller at this point. Um, you know, this is this is now dealing with the Roman period. But Macedonia is still like, I mean, I don't know, like a, maybe the equivalent of like a small state here in the U.S. I mean, you know, so it's like, you know, like uh, that's indeed what you're doing to all the brothers, you know, throughout Connecticut or something like mm-hmm. this. Right. Um, it's like, that's still like a very large region. And so, no, hang on. So what, what does that mean? Well, I, I think that this is something you see throughout, throughout this. And this kind of goes to the point I was making about kind of that, um, what, what a lot of Hispanic families do that, like there'll, there'll be a branch that like comes out to the U S and sends money back home. I think a lot of it's money actually that, that they're being generous and they're supporting other groups in Macedonia monetarily, and uh, I, I think that the scandal would be that, like, you're like, well, hey, you just give all this money to strangers. Like, why? Why would you do that? Like, you don't, you don't know them, and um, you know, like, it's certainly, certainly, shouldn't you be putting the money back into your own community, right? I mean, that would be that would be our own version in 2019, right? Uh, how about being local, right? Um, mm. But yeah, I, I think a lot of it's probably going to be that, and certainly, there's a lot of aspects. Um, that also would have been um, scandalous to other people. Um, there's 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 some interesting stuff that Romans uh, that like was said about the Christians. Like like I have a few of those things written down here. But but yeah, I think I think a lot of it was that the way they were actually just supporting each other that they w- that they would be so just over the top generous um, or in the eyes of the world um, prodigal with their with their assets and with their resources. So this matter of brotherly love, it's not that they would have neglected their own congregation. Certainly, they're they're taking care of the other Christians that are within this congregation, but it doesn't stop there. It starts there and then continues out into the surrounding area to their, to their sister congregations elsewhere. So their, their brotherly love, it doesn't know the limits of, of time, of, of space. It doesn't know the limits of, and I think this is the key point that you were making of who do you, who do you know face to face? It it was a couple of, a couple of times ago. I don't remember when exactly, but in, in chapter three, when we were talking about Paul's separation, from Thessalonians. He, he talks about how he was just torn away from them right. and how he longed to see them face to face, but he, he still knew that, that even though he was not there with them in person, he was still with them in heart. And we, we talked about with that text, how the, the connection that we have within the Christian church doesn't know the distance. It doesn't know the matter of time, but that when we are in Christ, when we're gathered around his gifts, there we are with his entire church. And so, 
again, it's just it's just interesting to see and, and telling to see, I should say, how that then is put into practice here among the Thessalonians, that yeah. they know that they're united to these other Christians, even though they've never, ever met them and may never meet them. They know that they're united in Christ and they, I mean, just to, they put their money where their mouth is. They, they well, support well, yeah. them. Go ahead. Well, well, and, and it's, it's how much, how much the name Christ means, right? I mean, it's just that like in, in the same way that I, I don't know, it's, you know, uh, maybe, maybe people can relate to this. You know, th- there are some people in your family that, you know, you don't see very often. Maybe you only see them at Thanksgiving or Christmas time. Right. But they're your own family. And if you have a family, um, that, a strong family ethic, you know, like you were saying, like, you know, in rural America, um, th- thankfully, yeah, in rural America, like, like uh, many uh, different racial and ethnic groups have kind of been like insulated from this shift that we're experiencing in like the suburbs and in the cities. Um, you you would say like, you know what, if they've come on to hard times, you know, they're family, you, you would say, right? And, and you would support them even, even if you know, you don't really know them all that well. It's like how much that family name matters. Um, one second century Roman uh, by the name of Marcus Cornelius Fronto. Doesn't that sound like a super Roman name? I think so. Um, <laughs> yeah. he, criti- he actually criticized the Christians for the way that they behaved. He said, they recognize each other by secret marks and signs. Hardly have they met when they love each other throughout the world uniting in the practice of a veritable religion of lusts. Indiscriminately, they call each other brother and sister, thus turning even ordinary fornication into incest by the intervention of these hallowed names. Mm. Right? I mean, like, so very interesting quotation, but just the Christians recognized each other because they, they they were making the sign of the cross. They were speaking these words of peace in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, they, they had these ways of recognizing each other, even when they were strangers, because the name of Christ was more important than any other name that they had. So, I mean, that's, that's just really something for us. I mean, and, and you think about that, what you were saying earlier, just about this love that says, you know, Hey, you know, the distance or the fact that I don't know you very well, that's not nearly as important as the name of Christ. We, I think that we could we have a lot to learn, I think, from the, from these uh, Thessalonians because, I mean, today it's like, sadly, it's very often it feels like every congregation for itself. And it's like, well, we have barely enough offerings just to support our own ministry, right? You know, I, I, oh, my goodness. Or we get into this stuff where it's like uh, kind of like turf wars or something like that. Like, hey, now, you know, this area is is ours. You know, what are you doing? You're, you're kind of moving in on you know, the area that, that we've been ministering to, right? I mean, and just how that's like just the opposite of what Paul is praising these uh, Thessalonian Christians for. Hmm. So so this matter of, of brotherly love then is is very uh, overarching. It, it's just a huge thing that's going on among the Thessalonian Christians. And then, as you, as you said, extending out into the whole church that's there in Macedonia, this, this Greek church that exists. So... I mean, you know, you've you've got people sharing what they have, and we can look at we could look at tons of other examples. This matter of the offering that Paul takes is is a big yeah. deal when it comes to the Corinthians and in other letters of Paul. It, it comes up in the book of Acts. So so <laughs> we've we've hinted at this already. It's probably time we we start looking. Then, <laughs> as you said, there's there's some subtopics here in terms of how this brotherly love plays out and and maybe how it how it doesn't play out and as as in the, it's in the middle of verse 10 where Paul makes this transition of sorts but again under this heading 
of this matter of, of living quietly, minding your own affairs, working with your hands. What's Paul getting at? How is it related to, to brotherly love? Right. I, I think that this is something that anyone who lives in a tightly knit family will appreciate. <laughs> because <laughs> when, you, when you have a tightly knit family um, and everyone's taking care of each other and everyone's really supportive, it inevitably seems to happen that there is somebody, um, you know, I'm just thinking of people that I've talked to recently who have tightly knit families, right? And some of the words that they use, right, are uh, freeloader, sponge, mooch. <laughs> there, there always seems to be somebody who's like, oh, it's so great that I find myself in a family that supports me and takes care of me and like, you know, like comes up uh, with the part that's missing in my shortfall and all the rest. And, and just kind of um, rides on that and kind of leans back a little bit. Um, sometimes that comes in a different form. Sometimes that comes in the form of uh, somebody who's, they, they say like, oh, well, you know, I, I couldn't possibly be, you know, out there working full time when I, I'm so concerned with the family. And I'm, you know, I'm, t- I'm taking care of my, my sister-in-law and, and my, my cousin. And, you know, I have, to, I have to keep checking in on, you know, Aunt Betty and like, you know, the list goes on, right? But like, you know, there there's so much in everybody in the family's business that they say that like, well, you know, so I have no time to be doing these other things. Now, <clears throat> you know, maybe, maybe there are situations where there's there's actually some legitimacy to some of that, but basic idea just being, it's very easy to fall into this temptation um, if you have the strong family ethic to just kind of be a busybody. Or on the other hand, if not a busybody and uh, someone who's always prying into the family business, um, someone who's just kind of easy, uh, just uh, willing to kick back and kind of take it easy and let the family pick up the slack. So it really comes as a counterbalancing ethic that you have to hold um, in tension, these two ethics. One, the, the familial love, the brotherly love, the love for the, uh, the family but also the ethic of self-reliance of, of pulling your own weight. Yeah, we're going to help each other, but I'm not going to take advantage of that. You got to have both of those things or else you're going to go far too off to the left or to the right. Hmm. And I think that that matter of, of self-reliance, as you said, is, is there in the term brotherly love. And I, I like that. I like the way that you put it at the very beginning of seeing this as a, a subtopic of brotherly love that, that my hard work, my, my minding, my own affairs, living quietly. This is a part of showing brotherly love that I'm not right. going to take advantage of you. And right. that, I mean, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a, a better way of thinking about it than just sort of, you know, pull up your bootstraps, suck it up buttercup kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. We got to be careful about that. Like the NIV translates, um, this is, and this is actually a little interesting moment here because in, in the ESV, what we just read, what, what does it say in verse 11? It says, mind your own affairs. And then the e, the NIV puts it, um, mind your own business. I, I don't know. I mean, that the NIV translation, that might be even further along. But maybe even the ESV is sort of maybe too much. But I mean, I mean, the point is not that like, you know, it's like, you know, hey, just kind of stick to your stuff, like stick to yourself. Don't go like asking questions. Don't don't be like, you know, trying to like give advice to your to your sister about, you know, relationships or whatever. Hey, that's not your business. Mind your own affairs. That That's not what it means. It, it kind of literally means like, <laughs> 
take care of your own business. Like if you have a family business, <laughs> like run it, you know, like actually make sure it's like making money. Um, don't, don't neglect that. Don't neglect your work. Don't neglect your job in the name of, I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, oh, oh, well, you know, there's this family stuff going on. So I couldn't possibly be bothered to do this. Right. So, yeah, I think you're right. It, it is really properly understood a part of brotherly love that if you really love your family, there's a willingness to work hard for them. You want to provide for them. You don't want to be a drain on them. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it's, I think if Paul's going to tell them, Hey, do even more of this stuff, he's got to tell them like, but, but watch out. Like this is, this is going to come up if you're not careful. Yeah. So uh, just a, a couple of thoughts on, on some of these and maybe, maybe just some, some applications of, of it when it comes to this matter of, of self-reliance or, you know, doing your work, oh, how, how do we, I mean, we find ourselves in need where where do we and this may be a hard question to answer I, i'm not sure but like is it wrong to ask for help or or when is it, it, it how do we how do we take that and and not go yeah. too far with that i suppose yeah i think i think the focus isn't on like how much you're asking for help and and this this happens all the time like it's good to ask for help it really it really is and sometimes we feel bashful about it um, but especially like in families and especially within the body of Christ, like we, we, we shouldn't like let our ego get in the way of asking for help. Because truthfully, most of, the time, most of the time, it's not actual modesty. It's actually pride that prevents us from asking for help. Um, I think the emphasis, however, is not really on that, but as much as what he says on to work with your hands as we instructed you is what it says. And um, I. I, I think there's something there that is going to make a lot of people uncomfortable, but I, I think that's the point. We we can very easily look at that and be like, oh, well, you know, Paul's like writing like 2000 years ago. And so a lot of the jobs were, you know, manual labor. So that's just kind of like what he said in his time. And in our time, it's different. Well, kind of, but not not exactly. Because even in Paul's time, people looked down on manual labor, actually. I mean, like, because this was an area that was, there was a lot of business. There was a lot of trade. Um, you, you wanted to try to, to lift yourself up and bring yourself, you know, out from the, uh, just like the manual labor class and into the, you know, doing business sort of class and be doing the business of trading and selling and all the rest. Uh, that's where That's where the money was. That's where the opportunity was for upward mobility. But, you know, here's Paul saying, hey, guys, um, even though it's not glamorous and a lot of people, they will know they won't really like think that well of you. And they'll be like, oh, that, you know, that that's so, you know, like that's so lowly. You shouldn't be afraid. Uh, you shouldn't let your ego get in the way. Just do some manual work and actually make sure that you're doing something that's going to generate, um, you know, generate like a way to take care of the family. So. I think there is application there because, you know, here we are in the United States and it's just like everyone wants to get a PhD. Of course, I got to feel really self-confident, uh, self-conscious as I say that uh, everyone's like, you know, go to college and go to college some more and get all the degrees in the world and, you know, get lots of scholarships and lots of awards. And we're just kind of like tripping over each other, trying to like, you know, get as many like promotions and prestigious uh, things to make us stand out. But I think Paul's message is actually is actually applicable to us. And we should say, hey, you know what? 
maybe we shouldn't be caring so much about whether I'm going to become the president of whatever and, you know, whether everyone in my family is going to like, you know, have like really respectable white collar jobs or whatever else. Maybe I should actually be okay with just accepting a job that's actually just going to take care of people now. Like, it, it, I think there is actually something of a bit of a corrective for us as like, I think the broader culture is very slowly waking up to. I, again, I, I think what you've done is you've helped keep this under the matter of brotherly love once again. And you've centered, I think, on on this idea of pride. You brought it out in terms of, you know, when, when people won't ask for help, it really is more of a matter of pride often than it is a matter of modesty. I, I think you're right. And, and to see pride as behind a lot of what Paul says here, I think is is very helpful. You know, the matter of, of minding your own affairs or just doing your own work, living quietly, pride would prevent you from doing those things. Right. And <laughs> in so doing then, that prevents you from, from truly loving your brother because you're more concerned about yourself yeah. rather than what does is, what is my family need? And when I'm concerned with that, yeah, then I'm going to do these things. I'm going to maybe work with your own hands, maybe say, um, and, and that's, I, I have to think about that one a little bit more in terms of, you know, is it, is it manual labor that I'm actually using my hands or do something useful? Maybe that's a, a way that we should understand it. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I, I think there's something, I think there's something, I think you're right that there is something there to like, it is maybe referring to kind of more like practical things, but I, I do think there's actually something to it that is a little bit just working with your hands. I have a good example of it. I think, you know, I was mentioning earlier, like in, you know, our generation, like the millennials, right? Um, our our way of letting ego get involved here was like, well, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to like get so many degrees and I'm going to be like, everyone's going to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. And it was just like, try to, you know, get get into these upper echelons of like the, the workforce, right? And just, you know, get, get your master's after your bachelor's and then try to get into the best this school. And it was just like, we thought if we just, you know, had all the letters after our names that, everything else would follow. Right. But in, in the end, a lot of it has been like, you know, crippling debt and actually compromising the situations that our families are in Gen Z. Now their thing is like, well, you know, if I can become a big influencer on Twitter or Instagram or, you know, on Twitch and become a streamer or, or like a YouTube personality. Right. And unfortunately for as many, as many of the successful ones as, as there are, there's like a thousand others who are just like not really making like any money and having to really be, I mean, like overall, like a drain on their families. I, I think that that can be contrasted with like, I know someone in my family who, I mean, didn't go to college. Um, but I mean, now he's like the manager of like a, of a, of like a pretty decent uh, chain out here because he just kept working and working and working and just kept getting promoted. And the guy's like in his early twenties, I mean, like, and yet, I, I mean, like he, he literally is like, you know, in there and like, you know, making pizzas and making it happen. Right. But it's like, he's doing it and like, it's enabling him to take care of family. And I think like, wow, like what maturity, what, I mean, love is there that says like, you know, okay, if I, if I really need a degree, I can get one later, but it's not about my pride. It's not about my, my fame. It's about me taking care of people. And when you like put your head down and, and get to work to do that, like it can be a gigantic blessing that God can be working through you. 
this this conversation about what sort of vocations, professions that Christians aspire to, and, and particularly as you think about raising children in the next generation, I think this is a big conversation that we ought to be having that we're not having. And unfortunately, I don't think we have a ton of time to have that conversation here, Pastor Espinoza. <laughs> but but I do think yeah. I, I appreciate what you're saying because I really think that this is something that that we need to start thinking about as Christians right now. Is is what kinds of professions do the scriptures push us toward? Not that there's going to be exact answers and that that there may not be some some honest disagreement over these things, but to really yeah. take these words of the apostle to heart. And and I think when we get into 2 Thessalonians next, particularly chapter 3, where Paul's going to bring up this idea again about working for your bread, that, mm-hmm. that's that's going to be something we should think about. But but again, we'll, we'll save that conversation. We've got about five minutes left here in the morning. And I want to, there's one more thing I really want to address with yeah. you. We've talked yeah. a lot about the brotherly love and the relationship, this, this love that exists within Christians, even Christians we don't know. But I mean, right. I can hear people saying, well, what about non-Christians? What about the, and, and Paul brings them up so that you may walk properly before outsiders. How, how does this yeah. matter of brotherly love within the church then affect the church as, as she goes forth and loves the world as well? Yeah, that, that's that's a really good question. So like I was saying, this is, this is sort of interesting. You might think it's a little bit of a contradiction because I just said that outsiders would have thought kind of not that well of people working um, with their hands and manual labor. So like, hang on a second. I thought he said, don't, don't pay any mind to them. Don't try to impress them. And now it's like walk properly before them. What? Uh, I, I think it's actually very specific here. He's wanting them to make sure that they are supporting each other and working hard and that they aren't, you know, no one's being to use that, that term I mentioned earlier, no one's being a freeloader um, because that would be scandalous to outsiders, particularly, right? I mean, it says that they're walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I, I think that those are meant to be kind of statements that are equivalent, basically two different aspects of the same thing. You don't want to just be, I mean, because we, we all know in, in in our country, in America, right? Like one of the worst things, right? Is it like, you know, there, there, there's a lot of these uh, portrayals and stereotypes is like the person who's like, I don't know. Um, and I don't mean to be insensitive, but like just to kind of name a caricature that exists, right? Uh, the person who's living off of food stamps and they've got like, you know, like five, you know, big screen 4K TVs and all the rest, right? Like that, that is such a scandal for people today. Uh, it would have, it would have been then also. Uh, and so I think the idea is that really when, when outsiders look at the Christian church, they should be like, wow, look at these people, the way they work so hard to take mm-hmm. care of each other without any mind to like fame or pride or any of the rest of it. That's the kind of community that I wish I was a part of. I wish that people loved me that way. I want to be a part of that. Hmm. A light, a light shining in the darkness uh, to yeah. use language. Yeah. Yeah. So Pastor Espinosa, as we got just under two and a half minutes here, give us a, a summary and, and, and help us to see Christ in this text. We, we've, it's been a very law-oriented conversation, then that's not necessarily bad because the, the text brings that out. But but help us to see Christ in this text with this these last couple of minutes. Well, I mean, you mentioned it earlier how Christ himself said, these are my brothers and sisters and brothers and uh, my, my my parents even, right? That that he was the one who lived out this this 
brotherly love, right? That he loved his disciples that way. He showed this love and he wasn't afraid to, um, you know, take on a position that looked very lowly, right? I mean, like, my goodness, I mean, like, he was actually willing to to wander around as a, as a kind of a nomad, right? Uh, a, an itinerant preacher, you know, and a lot of, you know, he said at one point, like, you know, foxes have dens and birds have nests and the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So he was willing to go and take up a task that wasn't at all um, glorious. It made him a lot of enemies at times, but he was doing it because that was what his family needed. And And to think about it, that he included people in his family, like Samaritans, right? And people who weren't even, I mean, at all from the people of God, like the Syrophoenician woman. Um, that's who he had in mind. Our Lord Jesus himself embodied brotherly love in a way that that no one else has. Um, and it's when his spirit is in us that we do this, when we're inspired by the love that he has pursued us with, with the way that he um, has been a prodigal with the love that he showered on us. Hmm. Pastor A.J. Espinoza is an adjunct professor of theology at Concordia University in Irvine, California, as well as the host of Thy Strong Word here on KFUO. You can listen to that in just a few short hours this morning. Pastor Espinoza, thank you for your time today. Always a pleasure, Tim. Thanks for having me on. We have been called into the family of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our brother. God is our father and together we are the children of God and we share that brotherly love even with people we've never met when we share the name of Christ we share all and we work together for that common purpose we we work we do what God has given us something useful with our hands to support our family knowing that we are held together in our brother Christ Jesus I'm your host here on Sharp Iron Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville Texas thanks for spending the morning with us talk to you again tomorrow <music>